0: Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at East Coweta High School in Sharpsburg. We invite you to join us for our energetic and passionate worship services. Check us out at realchurchcoweta.com or search for us on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, I did it. I messed up. 15 months have gone by since the whole election thing has kind of started up, 15, 16 months, and I kind of messed up. What I've been doing is I've been trying to throw stuff on social media that's kind of funny or, you know, the kind of self-deprecating or one to another, and, you know, oh, well, this is this, or this is this, or this is this, or, this, is this. and, you know, who knew a couple of days before the election I was doing so well. I'm a political junkie. I really am. I, I, I admit that. I'm a, I'm a I really love it. Uh, I, I love watching the process of politics. I love keeping up with everything. I, I, I'm a history major. I love doing those kind of things, but I really messed up. I did so well for about 16 months. I did not put anything mean or anything on social media about politics. I didn't respond to anybody. I didn't respond to anything. I laughed, and I put little snippets here and little pictures there and all that kind of stuff. And then the devil came in last yesterday evening. It happened at around 9 o'clock. I was sitting upstairs in my office going over the notes for today's message and the devil came in. I just said, hey, you know, I want to check in. If I'm being honest with you, there was a like a band-type competition that some of our kids were in and I wanted to check the status of it. I had kind of watched to see what was going on online and I, I did that. And so I saw one of my friends. I clicked it and I saw that they had won. Congratulations, y'all. Y'all were awesome, by the way. Those, Y'all too. Um, but... I saw one of my friends and he had a little post and I was like, oh, I'll just read that. And I started reading it and then I read some of the comments under it. And I could feel the hands of Satan pulling me in. Pulling me in. And I'd love to report that I said, get behind me, Satan. I got work to do. But I said, come on, Satan. We got work to do. <laughs> and it's really interesting because I got into about an hour conversation with a, with a person that lives in California. And we went back and forth just asking questions and all that kind of stuff. But I did. I got pulled in. A lot of us get pulled in. A lot of us get pulled in to this time of year. And uh, let me just say This. I don't know of anyone on social media that's ever changed their mind because of a post you made. Okay, I'm just let me just get that out there. I don't know of anybody that's that's ever changed their mind because of a post you made. Uh, I think that would be zero. I know a lot of people that have been angry about posts that you've made or I've made or that people other people have made. I know people like you who have been angry about those things. And so I thought today what we would do is, is we would take a step back and we would take a look at what exactly Jesus thought about all this. Now, in order to understand that, you have to understand the life which Jesus led and the atmosphere at which Jesus approached and came into, okay? And so we're going to go through a few things. have a short little history lesson today, but we're going to go through a few things that are going to explain to you what the atmosphere was like in Jesus's day, okay? The first thing I want you to understand is this. Jesus, Jesus came in a time where right before he came, this is what occurred, the Israelites would have the land. They would have their area. A conquering nation would come in. Okay, because of the sin of the Israelites, God would allow it. Conquering nation would come in and would occupy the land or take them away. They would turn back to God and they would come back in. So the Israelites were constantly doing this, scattering and returning. Scattering and and returning. Scattering and returning. That's exactly what it looked like. And this happened over and over and over. And you can see this in a lot of the, the scripture. As a matter of fact, a lot of the prophecy books of the, of the Old Testament, a lot of those prophetic books of the Old Testament, they are giving prophecy of what could be or what God is calling people to do in order to come back together as a nation. They would scatter And they would come back together. But a lot of that stopped. A lot of that stopped when the Roman Empire came in. So I want to go over today five different political, five different political people in Jesus's day. Just like we have Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, so on and so forth. Here are the five. Let's start with the Romans. Okay, do we have those up there? Maybe not. Maybe not. The Romans. The Romans were well-disciplined people. And a matter, as a matter of fact, the Romans, what they did is they came in and they allowed, they allowed the Israelite people to stay where they were. They were just conquered over them. But the Romans were very disciplined. They created roads. They were powerful. They were organized. And they ruled. They were ruling. They were the ruling, the umbrella ruler over the Israelites in Jesus' day. We see this a lot of times whenever we see Jesus encounter Romans. As a matter of fact, there's a story. One of the stories is about a Roman soldier that came and the Roman soldier actually came up and said, hey, listen, you don't even have to go back to the house. Just, just you, you, if, you say, if you say that it's so, then it's so. And Jesus was like, I have, all these other people we're gonna talk about, he said, I have never seen such faith in any of these other people it took the Roman to do that. We also see another scene at the cross, where the Roman soldier looked up and said, "Surely, surely, this man was the Son of God." So you have the Roman soldiers that are over. You have the Roman Empire that are over, over the whole area, but they still were a nation. But they were being that they were there. They were over them. The next one is the Sadducees, and these people were a piece of work. The Sadducees were the priestly class. They were the ruling class. They were the aristocrats. They were the rich people, the rich people in the area. They were were the people that really, they, they were centered in Jerusalem. And you know the Sadducees because Jesus went before a 71 member Sadducee council, and that's called the Sanhedrin. Says he went before the Sanhedrin. Now there's some things you need to know about the Sadducees. The Sadducees were actually they were working side by side with the Romans. And here's how it worked: the Sadducees ruled politically over the Israelites because they worked closely with the Romans. Now the Sadducees where were, I said they were from the priestly class, you have to know something else too. The Sadducees did not take the entire Old Testament as being the Bible, so to speak. They only followed the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. The historical, those things, the prophetic, all of those things, they didn't follow any of those things. Their thought was this, we have the law, We just need to follow the law. We don't need any oral tradition. We don't need any of the stories. We don't need any of the the prophecies. We don't need any of those things. We're only going to follow those five things. But these were the wealthy people. These were the people that had the power. They were the Sadducees. A lot of people, a lot of people suspect, now this is not known, but a lot of people suspect that the Apostle Paul possibly was one of the Sadducees, but they don't know that for a fact. So we can't say that for for sure. But they were from the wealthy, they were from the wealthy class. And they ruled. And we see Jesus go before them in all of their piousness. So you take the Sadducees, you have the Romans and the Sadducees, and then you take the Pharisees. Now this is what we hear about the most in the scripture. Scripture. Jesus went against two people mainly in the Scripture, the Sadducees and then the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees believed in a strict observation of the law. That means the first five books of the Bible. The Pharisees believed in a a very strict interpretation of the Scripture, the first five books of the Bible, and then they believed heavily, heavily, in the oral tradition, what we know as the entire Old Testament, they took all of that on. And here's what they did. What they did is they took all of that information and they expanded it out to all different areas of life. Basically, what they did is this. For instance, on the Sabbath, you're not to do any work. The Pharisees said, okay, on the Sabbath, you're not to do any work. And so because of that, you can only take so many steps on the, on, on the Sabbath. So you're up to, anybody got a Fitbit? They would say, look, rearrange your Fitbit. Don't go 10,000, go like 500, all right? Because if you go over 500, you're working. That's why we see the Pharisees, the Pharisees came in when Jesus had healed and they said, hey, you, you, you just healed and you healed on, on, on the Sabbath and that's a sin. Well, the Old Testament doesn't say that. The Pharisees said that because what they did is they expanded on that. And we know that Jesus responded and he said, Well, what's, what's better to do? Is it, is, is it better to keep the Sabbath or to do good? <laughs> which one is it? You know, whenever the, the, the outcome is good, which one is it? So that's the idea that you have with the, uh, with the Pharisees. Now, what they thought, and this is a huge, huge part. They thought that you could earn your way to heaven by keeping by keeping all of the commands and all of the oral traditions. And so they would add one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. These were the people that would walk through the streets and they would have the scriptures laced all over. They would have these garments that would hang down. They were the Pharisees. They were the spiritual people. There's a text where Jesus is talking about fasting, and he says, hey, listen, when you fast, don't do it like the Pharisees do. What they would do is, is they would actually go through the streets looking gaunt and looking, looking, you know, looking like they were starving, and, looking, and they would go through, and they would be so holy. We see another part of the Pharisees where there's a, there's a, there's a Pharisee that raises his hands, and he says, God, and he's in the temple. He said, God, thank you so much that I'm not like this poor schmuck. That's basically what he said. Thank you so much. I'm not like this guy. All right? And Jesus asked the question. He said, now, and the other guy was on. He was beating his chest, and he had his head face down, and he was saying, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I'm a sinner. And so we see that scenario, and Jesus asked the question, now who went away? Who went away justified? Who was it? Was it the Pharisee who thought so highly of himself? Jesus argued with the Pharisees all of the time. As a matter of fact, when he would come into a setting, they were always looking to follow him, to trap him. They would follow him and trap him, and then they would, take him to the, they would eventually take him to the Sanhedrin, which was the Sadducees, who then would take him and turn him over to the Romans, who had to make a decision as to whether or not he would be crucified. And that's the political class that you see with the Pharisees. They would take what the Bible says and then they would go tenfold, even more strict. As a matter of fact, their rule was this. Whoever could keep the strictest commandments was the holiest. That's what they thought. So you can imagine what happened when Jesus came into the mix. You can imagine what happened when Jesus came into the mix. This, the fourth part, the fourth, the fourth people were, were the Essenes. Now, the Essenes believed that God was coming. They believed that God was coming, but they believed that God was coming through a catastrophic catastrophic event, they didn't necessarily believe that Jesus would actually come down. They thought it would be some catastrophe, and that they would come. And when 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 God comes, He would come down, and He would reign forever and ever. Now, in the picture you see here, there's there's mountains behind. All right. There's, there's mountains behind. That, that mountainous region behind is called the Qumran Valley. Now, the Qumran Valley is where Wendy actually, Wendy was there this summer. You guys probably have seen pictures of it online because Wendy was there. But there are these caves that would go into these mountainous areas. Now, the Essenes, that's what they would do. They would come out to these mountainous areas. They would not actually live in Jerusalem. They would not live around other, around other people. They had their own little sect. A lot of us, this is what you, I want you to think about. They were like monks. Okay, They would take these vows and they would not eat for a certain amount of time or they would take these vows of poverty. They would take these separate vows. They would say, hey, listen, I will take these vows and I will, I will not do this and I will not do that. We know, we know that they lived a very strict life. They wanted to be separated from the Sadducees, separated from the Pharisees, separated from the Romans. And for the most part, people kind of left them alone. They would be out in the Qumran Valley. Now, we are very thankful for the Essenes because they were very meticulous with the scriptures so meticulous that a while back a little boy playing went into one of these caves and he found what we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Dead Sea Scrolls came from this group that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from the Essenes the monks they were out they would live out no luxuries Uh, they would eat communally they they did purification that was ritualistic um you know, they would have vows of silence where some of them would never talk again. They would take a vow of silence and they just wouldn't speak again forever. And that's who the Essenes were. So you have the Romans and then you have the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes. And then finally, you have what we know as the Zealots. The Zealots. And the Zealots, the Zealots, they were the polar opposite of the Essenes. They didn't believe change was going to come through inner purification. They didn't believe that change was going to come being holier to God. They didn't believe that God was going to come through some catastrophic event. You know what they believed? Let's go to war. Let's go to war. We know that Jesus encountered these zealots, as a matter of fact, one of his disciples, Simon, was Simon the Zealot. So imagine this scenario. Just let's stop for a second and look at what Jesus is dealing with. Jesus has got these fishermen and, and tax collectors and zealots, and they're all intermingling in the 12. That's what he had to deal with. Those are the people that he chose. The Zealots wanted wanted to overthrow the government. They wanted to overthrow. And they honestly weren't interested in Jesus' teaching about peace. They weren't interested in any of that. They weren't interested in any of that. They weren't interested in any part. They wanted to overthrow the government by forceful means. And there were several times when they tried to do that. And they were every time taken down and taken down and taken down and taken down. So, In pops Jesus. In pops Jesus. Who is he going to side with? Who's he going to side with? You have these five, you have these five groups. Is he going to be loyal to the Romans like a lot of the tax collectors were? and like maybe some of the Sadducees were? Is he, going, is he going to maybe try to be part of that aristocratic group? Well, we know that's not going to be the case because of his upbringing and where he was born. You're kind of born into those Sadducees, the rich people. We would probably call them the Bushes, the Kennedys. We'd probably call them that today. Kind of born into it. Kind of royalty. Jewish royalty. He didn't want anything to do with those. And we know, we know that he wanted nothing to do with the Pharisees, don't we? Traditionally, if you wanna hang out with people, you do not call them a brood of vipers, okay? That's what he, that's what he called them. That's pretty much saying you're you rotten, dirty dog. Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty much what it is. So would he go out by himself? The Essenes, when he go out, you know, someone who was real close to being one of the Essenes was John the Baptist. He went out in the wilderness by himself, and people came to him. He lived out there. Was Jesus going to be like that? Well, we know that's not true because he interacted with people all the time. He was, he was in the temple, and he was, he was in Jerusalem, and he was around the countryside, and he did various things for various people, and so we know he wasn't in that group, so he's not He's not Roman. He's not part of the Sadducees, not part of the Pharisees, not part of the Essenes. And we know he's not part of the zealots because he had the power to overtake everything and he did nothing. As a matter of fact, he submitted himself to death. And so we know he wasn't part of the zealots. He was a man who had no political home. And here's what I want you to know. He's still that way today. It's the same exact thing today. You see, the people of his day wanted so badly to be free from Roman rule. The common people, the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Zealots, They wanted to be free from Roman rule. And so they constantly were looking for a savior. They were constantly looking for an earthly king that would come down and that their truth and what the Bible says, they would rule. He would rule forever and ever. That's what's going to get this thing right. And so when Jesus came down, he disappointed literally everybody. Literally everybody. Let me tell you a couple of truths about the election. But first, I have a video I want you guys to watch. Because I don't tell you, we took this thing seriously. We took this very seriously. I know you think that we're just some kind of startup church, all right? But we're not. We're big money. So much so, we're little money, but we're getting there. So much so... So much so that we decided to fly one of our own to where it all happens. Can we uh, get the lights? Can you guys check out this? Let's check this out.
1: Hey, guys, it's uh, Eddie and... uh Barry was telling me that he was going to do a sermon on something like uh, was Jesus a Republican or a Democrat. And so what I did was I decided to get on the plane and come all the way to Washington DC. I don't know if you can see that or not, but yeah, see that right there? I'm all the way in Washington DC right now and I tell you what let's do a little uh sort of man on the street kind of thing and kind of see how what happens here um hang on a second hi there uh, excuse me sir uh, hi there uh,
0: i don't
1: want anything oh no 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 i'm not selling anything i just wanted to kind of quickly ask you a question if you don't mind um so i'm from a church down in atlanta and what we're doing is we're doing a sermon uh about whether jesus was a republican or a democrat so well, what's your opinion on it? It's, it's obvious when Jesus is a Democrat. I mean, he's, his whole gig, his whole thing is about giving and taking care of people, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. loaves and fishes. I mean, that's, that is clearly yeah. a excuse Democratic me. policy. Yeah. I want to interrupt. Did you just say Jesus was a Democrat? Of course he was a Democrat. Are you an idiot? Well, Jesus, seriously? Uh, excuse, uh, excuse me. So we're, we're just kind of doing a little conversation here. so Jesus was a Republican. How could Jesus be? Jesus was a Christian. So Christian, Christian idea, he would not be supporting uh, the Democrats. Helping your fellow man. No, no. Jesus was about being conservative values.
0: There's nothing
1: conservative about it. He was giving. He, he took care of people. He made sure that everyone had food. No, 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 um, no. Listen, so, just think about it. Uh, <laughs> Tell you what, you guys go ahead and have a conversation. No, 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 no. Um, you ap- know what? Apparently, I think I may have kind of started something, and so maybe I kind of get out of this. So, hey, listen, you guys, pay attention. Great message this morning. We'll see you guys.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Eddie, for going up, taking a couple of days off work and flying up to Washington, D.C. Get the lights back on. So we know the scenario that Jesus came into. What's the truth about the election? Let me tell you a couple things. The first is, is that you can be at peace because God is in full control. All right? I want you to understand that. You can be at peace because God is in full control. I was thinking about, uh, I've been working on this message for a couple of weeks, and I was thinking back uh, about through my life, and I I realized something that really gave me peace. When I was born, Richard Nixon was the the president, and he's a Republican, and, and then I went forward a little bit. And, and uh, Jimmy Carter was president, and he's a Democrat, uh, and so it kind of went back that way. And, and, and then I, I, I continued on, and then Ronald Reagan uh, came in, and he was a Republican, so we went back over to this way, and then stayed an extra four years with George Bush Sr. Uh, over here. He's a Republican. And then it went back over here, uh, and, and we had a, 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 dem, a Democrat for eight years with uh, Bill Clinton, and, and then we went back over here with George Bush uh, uh, w, George, George W. Bush, and he's a Republican. And then we went back over here to uh, Obama, uh, and he's a, a Democrat. Uh, and, and now we're right in the middle, and we don't know what the heck's going to happen Tuesday. All right? Um, and I realized something that God's in full control, and I don't have to worry about it. Romans 13, 1 and 2, I think we have that. Romans 13, 1 and 2 says this. It says, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Now, I want you to get this. You may think, oh yeah, uh, he's writing back in that day. Yeah, he's writing back in that day where if you went outside of their authority, they would kill you. Okay? Anybody got any death threats here lately? If you're not a Democrat or not a Republican? I don't think so. And he's saying this. He's saying, hey, listen, don't worry about, don't worry about things because let me tell you something. God is the one that places people in, in, in authority. Now we can't always understand why he does that. Okay? All of us have an opinion about why he would do this or why he would do that. But the truth is, is the things of God, the scripture says in the Old Testament that the things of God are His ways are higher than our ways. And we can't understand why he would allow this person or that person to be in charge. But here's the great thing. The scripture also says that he is the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. If he's the author and perfecter of our faith, we already know that he is also the author of our life and life as we know it. And he is in absolute full control. There's nothing going to surprise. God's not going to wake up on Wednesday morning and go... Well, I can't, my, man, I had it all planned out, man. And then America voted and something else happened. Gosh, man. And it's funny because when we, we, we say it like that, we say it out loud here, we laugh about it. But when we're sitting behind our computer screen or we're watching our TV, we get very upset about it. And we get very, we get very nervous about it. But let me, give you, let me give you a little hint, okay? You don't have to be nervous anymore. Whenever you gave your life over to Christ, you gave your full life over to Christ. And he came in and he replaced your life. He replaced your, your will for his will. And so if you're in his will, and if you're walking in his will, then he's got you. And He's got who's gonna be the next president in Congress and on and on and on. And your job and your marriage and your kids, and I can just go on and on and on. God's not gonna be surprised on Wednesday morning. You can stay at peace knowing that. But let me say something kinda honest with you, okay? The truth of the matter is, and this is something that we don't wanna look at, this is something that none of us wanna look at, but it's the truth. These two candidates that we have, while you may think, well, I just can't believe we don't have any better choices, the truth of the matter is, is these two candidates are a perfect, clear example of who we are right now as a country. It's true, it's true. You can say it's not true, but it's true. When you you are looking at these two candidates, who were, by the way, both created in the image of God, both of them, when you look at these two candidates, you're seeing yourself. You're seeing who we are as a country. Now, I don't know how that stirs you up, but it kind of stirs me up. But that's exactly who we are. When we hear the negative talk, when we hear... The the speeches and the rhetoric, and we hear all those things. I'm going to tell you something. That's who we are. These two candidates are a great example of who we are. But I have great news, and the great news is is that you can be at peace because God is in control. The second thing I want you to know is this, and some of you aren't going to like this at all. But Jesus was neither a Democrat or a Republican just like he wasn't a Roman or an Essene or a Sadducee or a Pharisee or a Zealot, and he was pulled all those ways. Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican. He is truly, he is truly an independent. I wanna read what it says in John chapter six. In John chapter six, we see, I think we have that up there. In John chapter six, it says this. Jesus had just fed a bunch of people and he had just done these miracles and people were starting to get excited because like we have our coming king. This is gonna be our king right here. This is who we're gonna have and this is what it says. It says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. Surely this person is who we've been expecting. We are going to make him a king. And this is what it says. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. A lot of people get get confused about Jesus's role. I want to clear up something for you. Okay. I want to clear up something for you. Jesus had all of the power he needed to conquer the entire world with one word from his mouth. He had all that power. He chose not to do it. He chose not to do it. It was never his plan. It was never his plan. He has these people that are coming down, and they're wanting to make him a king. They're saying, if only we get, can I tell you guys something? Back in in 2000, from about 1988 until 2000, I was very active in politics. Uh, I loved uh, politics. I was in high school. I was part uh, of a political group in high school. I went and got, got signs and I would go to rallies and I would go door to door and I went and I, I saw all these things because I had this hope, and then I gave my life to Christ, and it got even deeper in me. I was like, man, I know if only, if only we can get this person in office, then this will be this, or if only this person could get elected, then my life will change. If only, if only, if only. And in two thousand, you know you guys know what I realized. I could, never put my, I could never put my faith in a man. And I started to think back on my life and I realized, with the exception of a few little things, it didn't really mean a hill of beans. He was present in my life, in my circle. It didn't. It didn't at all. And then when I gave my life over to Christ, I really realized, all that matters to me, it's not, it doesn't matter whose side I'm on as long as I'm following Jesus I'm on Jesus' side that's whose side I'm on that's whose side I'm on they wanted to make him a king they wanted to lift him up and be a king and he was like no no." as a matter of fact we see in scripture various times where Jesus does miraculous things and he says this he says hey hey do this don't tell anybody don't, don't tell anybody he knew what they wanted He knew what they wanted. And here's the thing. He had the power to do it and he chose not to. And you better be thankful that he chose not to. Because him choosing not to is the reason why you and I will enter the kingdom of heaven one day. He chose to come as a suffering savior, not to defeat a political power class. He chose to enter in as the savior to save you and to save me. That's what he did. That's what he did. He was neither a Democrat or Republican. I know a lot of times we get caught up on certain issues. You know, one of the issues, and I'm going to say something controversial, so gird your loins. Uh, one, one, of the issues, one of the issues that I, uh, that, I, uh, that kind of frustrates me a little bit is, is the issue uh, of abortion. I feel real passionate about abortion. I really do. But what I found is, is that a lot of times people are so pro-life in the womb, but they're not pro-life in the ghetto. We're pro-life in the womb, but we're not pro-life with the poor. We care about the unborn child, but we care less about the people that are in the inner city. I'll assure you that if we put as much passion into the people in the inner city, if we put, do you guys know that right now there is a church that was meeting over by Madras? And do you guys know what the pastor did? He, he shut down his church. If you, guys, if you guys would go, there was a church over, uh, over there. It's right behind Matters. It's got a for sale sign there. Because he went to his people and he said, hey, listen. He said, there's these people in the inner city of Noonan. And now you think, oh, really, Noonan? Yes, Noonan. There's these kids that are hungry. And there's these people that, that are hurting. And, and I want to help them. That's what I want to do. And he said, and I'm going to go start a ministry. And they were like, well, we want to help too. He said, you don't get it. We're going to have to move the whole church down there. And I know you guys aren't going to want to do that. And what he really said is it's because you guys are some old people and you don't necessarily care. And he said, they said, no, we do care. They put the church up for sale. They sold the church and they are now meeting, they're trying to sell the church. They did sell the land. The land was right up here on 154, right up here on the way, on the, on the left-hand side. There was a sign there all the time. It said, believe. They changed their whole mindset. They moved to a place downtown. They meet, they're meeting right now, as we speak, right now they're meeting downtown in a little warehouse type thing. And they go every week and they minister to people. They feed the people in Noonan who don't have food. That's what they're doing. You see, not only are they worried about pro-life in the womb, they're worried about it in the, in the ghetto and in the, poor, where the places where the poor are. That's what they're doing. Think about it if we did that. Think about it if we did more than just take one issue. You see, for us, we're so single-minded, but Jesus didn't like that at all. He sees the whole perspective. Jesus was about justice, but he was about social justice too. And no one wants to read those scriptures. But you can't look at the New Testament and and the Gospels. You can't look at the Gospels and not see. You can't read the book of Luke and see where Jesus is constantly going against the grain. Well, this is how we've always done it, and this is the roles that everyone has. And Jesus is like, forget all that. We see it whenever he's walking along a road, and, and he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree, and Zacchaeus was hated because he was stealing from the people. He was hated. He was stealing from the people. And Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm at your place tonight. And they were like, what? What? Are you kidding me? You're going to do what? You're going to eat what? Jesus was a radical. He was. He was a radical. He was radically independent. And he, he wanted the church to be a place of healing, restoration, and where people became whole again. I read this last week, and I'll tell you again. You want to know why it's important to me that you're here on Sunday's? Because before this service, you guys all connect with one another. I had several conversations before this service. Some about some of the things y'all were going through in life. Some about how great it was that the Cubs won. But you have conversations, and after we're done here, after someone says Amen, Lynn does his announcements, and and, and he prays, and we're done. You guys start having conversations again, and you guys are going to go to lunch together, and you're going. I was at I was at a hospital visit yesterday and the person told me the person said with tears coming down their cheek you have no idea you have no idea how much a blessing real church has been to me and to my family during this time and can i tell you something amazing it didn't come from me all i did is go visit a hospital i didn't take a meal i didn't i didn't take a meal I, I, didn't, I didn't go and lay hands on them and pray for them all the time. I didn't do any of that. You know who it came from? It came from you. And that's exactly who we are to be as a church, exactly who Jesus was, was, wanted us to be. It's amazing for me. I, uh, I, I, I've realized something about politics, and I've realized something about people. The only reason that you believe politically what you believe is because of the experiences in your life and because of your story. And can I tell you something? The people on the other side of the aisle, they have experiences, and they have a story too. And we can't bend, we can't bend their story to try to match our story. But you know what you can do? You can be Christ to them. And I don't know about you, But my story took a radical change, radical change on December 18th, 1990, when I submitted myself to Christ. And he took the pen that I had in my hand writing my story, he took the pen and he began to write the story. You can't force people to follow your story, but you can show them Jesus who wants to write a new story for them And for you. The final thing is this we are to be ambassadors for his coming rule. A lot of people don't realize this. And and it's funny because a lot of people think that that Jesus is going to come back and he's still going to be the suffering savior. He's still going to be, he's still going to be the suffering savior. A lot of people think that he's going to be the humble. It's not the way he's coming back, you guys. He's coming back as a king. He's coming back as a king in all his glory and you're going to be blown away. And guess what we're to be? We're to be the ambassadors for his coming rule. That's what we're to be. We're to be the light for his coming rule. In the Old Testament, what God would do is God would bless the nation of Israel. And the scripture says this. He would do this so that they would all come and know the greatness of God. And we see this most in the life of Solomon. We see Solomon with all his splendor, and people from all over would come and they would say that i 'm not sure what, what God they're serving, but that is the God that I want to serve. We also see it whenever they were in captivity in the book of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar, who was the ruler over what we know as present day Iraq, Nebuchadnezzar threw three guys in the fire, and the fourth per and Nebuchadnezzar looked into the flames, and he saw this and he said. We know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He looked in and he said, I I see four people dancing in the fire. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. And then he said, get him out. I want to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are to be the ones that show his greatness. Can we pull up the scripture in 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says this. It says, do we have it? I don't have it. Okay. Second Corinthians 520 says this. Let me get it for you. It says, it says this. It says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal. How? He's making his appeal, you guys, through us. Through us. That's how he's making his appeal. Through us. Y'all, it is our job to show people what heaven is gonna be like. It's our job to show people who Jesus is through our actions and our love and our commitment. The scripture says this, we will know you're saved, how? By how you love other people. That's how we know you're saved. So what do you do? The question is, is what do you do on Tuesday? Maybe you've already voted, I hope you did this, but if you haven't voted, what do you do? Let me tell you what you do. You petition God and you say, God, the choice that I have before me is a flawed choice. And it will be that way every time, by the way, because they're men and they're women. You say, God, the choice I have before me is a flawed choice. Lord, because I'm following you and because because of, of the fact that I want to be your ambassador. God, show me, show me, God, who it is that you want to lead us. Show me who it is that you want to lead us. I'm going to end with this. There's a, there's a text in the in the uh, there's a text in the Old Testament. Um, do you have that back there? By the way, do you have in Joshua? Should be Joshua. Can you pull that up, please? This is what he said. Now, Joshua has just come over into the promised land and are getting ready to try and, 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 uh, and take a town, okay? And this is what he said. He says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he went up. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up with him and demanded, this is what he said. He says, are you friend or foe? Are you friend or foe? So Joshua goes over. He's kind of scoping out the land because they're getting ready to take Jericho. And he sees the guy and he goes over and says, hey, excuse me, uh, probably with a hand on a sword. Uh, hey, brother, are you friend or are you foe? Which one are you? And can you go ahead to the next one? He says this, neither one. And then he says this, I am the commander Of the Lord's army. And the text says that this. Joshua fell with his face to the ground. And said I am at your command. What do you want your servant. To do. How do we respond. To whether Jesus is a Democrat or Republican. Or how he would vote. The answer is neither one. And we're to respond with this God, I am at your command. What would you have your servant do? And after you leave that polling place, or after the results are in on Tuesday night, you go to bed at peace, knowing that the God of heaven has you and has us and has the world in the palm of his hand. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed by the fact that you care about us so much that you even care about political things. God, the natural tendency is for us to want to do things that god that that we believe so strongly is the right thing but sometimes god if we're being honest we forget to check with you we forget to check with you whether or not it's the right thing god we don't have to sit up at night worrying oh we can we can watch and we can be We can be interested and and we can be passionate about it, but never let us, God, never let us take off the covering. Never let us get from a point where we say, God, I know what you want. I'm gonna do my own thing. Lord, for people of real church and for the church in general, let us be people that are not wanting to move ahead of you, but are behind you. And that when you tell us which way to go, we follow. Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we live in a country that's free. There's a lot of countries you can't even vote. And if you do, it's all messed up. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, that we live in a country that's free. And Lord, right now, I want to pray for for uh, Hillary Clinton and, their, and her family and Donald Trump and his family that, that, and, and, and um, Governor Kane and, and Governor Pence. I just want to pray for them that you would bless them, lead them. God, let them turn back to you and listen to your lead, God. But more than anything else, God, we absolutely trust you You've had our lives from the beginning and you'll have it forever. Let us be people that trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and let's worship. Let's sing a final song. Thank you so much for listening to this message from Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and you'll find our contact information under the contact tab. We would like to have you join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at East Coweta High in Sharpsburg. Until next time, God bless you and take care.